Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. I'm Megan. And I'm Shaking Grigri. As am I. There we go. We've got so much to shake and touch and get this, <laughs> get this going we on do. the right foot here. Oh, and my microphone just tried to fall off the table. And she's Sweet. balancing coffee on a computer. And sure this am. is really just a train wreck to watch. I know. I'm sure nothing. What could go wrong, Megan? What could go <laughs> Don't wrong? Don't ever ask that. So let's give a uh, listener, Lynn. A shout out for thank you for this suggestion. I Thank you, Lynn. I think thank you for this suggestion because I've got to tell you, not only do I have a ridiculous amount of sources, this is going to be another two-parter. I know we already released a two-parter for January, but I'm sorry. Again, another one. It can be two-part January. It is two-part January because, which honestly... It, the weather always makes it feel like that. We just went through our first blizzard here in Michigan. Oh my God. I couldn't, this is the first time I've left my house since Friday at 3 p.m. Yeah. Because they sent us home from the county government home from work early on Friday. Yeah. With it, this anticipated it currently storm. our wind chill, it feels like negative 27 out. Correct. So that's And it cool. does feel every bit yes, it of does. negative 27. Yes, it does. Why do we live here again? I'm not sure. Okay. It won't be forever. No. Someday, right. someday we're going to make it big, girlfriend, <laughs> and podcast from wherever the heck <laughs> tropical place we want to. The Caribbean. Yes. Um, but I did, I spent the blizzard weekend going down this rabbit hole, thanks to Lynn, and, oh man, I can't even tell you how many hours of research that I have in this, but I am going to try not to make it into a five-part series, only because there, other, there are other podcasts out there who have done, like, whole seasons. You know, they do, they release, like, 30-minute yeah, episodes, and, mm-hmm, and their whole season is, is just this case, because it's a call-to-action case. Um, and I'm going to tell you what kind of brings this case to the forefront, and then I'm going to kind of make some disclosures, okay? Okay. So, you have me on the edge ugh, of my seat. It's it's a rough one. By July, or by, I'm sorry, on July 20th, 2020, 18-year-old Grant Solomon tragically died in Gatlin, Tennessee. His body was found in a ditch underneath his own truck. The only witness to his death was his father, whom Grant and his sister Gracie had a strained relationship with. Okay. Before I get into this case, there's some disclaimers that I need to make. The first here is that there have been no arrests in this case. And I know that's an important detail for you, given what you do for a living. I just have to be very careful with my commentary. Yep. The -hmm. details that I'm going to share here here were found through my research on public websites and through interviews conducted via other podcasts. Sources, of course, are in the show notes, as they always are, by people who are close to this case and want their opinions expressed. We are bringing this case to our listeners today to help raise awareness and to ask for a call to action. Should the listener feel so obliged, the petitions will also be in the show notes. The petitions are for further investigation, not only into Grant's suspicious death, but for the abuse that his sister Gracie, who turns 18 this year, endured. The family and public simply want a fair, proper, and unbiased investigatory look into these issues. 
So I'm going to start by shouting out the freedomforgracie.org website. Um, this is where for this episode and the next ep- this episode is going to be giving you history on the family. Okay. History so that you understand when I say that the only witness to Grant's death is his father whom he had a strained relationship with. This episode is going to be spent explaining how that came to fruition, how that strained relationship came to fruition. Okay. Um, and then the next episode is going to be taking a detailed look into Grant's death to help explain why we, there's that call to action from the public of just wanting another investigatory look at it. Okay. okay. So let's start at the beginning. And this information was it's a good place to start. Always. Sometimes we start at the end. I guess Sometimes in a way. Sometimes we start I in the middle and we hop around. Right, right. So a lot of this information came from the free the um, freedomforgracie.org website, but I know not everybody is into super sleuthing websites like I am. So I just I figured let's let's take it right from the horse's mouth that way. All right. So these opinions expressed are not our own, is what I'm saying. This is public research as always on this podcast. Good disclaimer. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so Angie and Aaron Solomon met in 2001. And according to the website, they had only been dating for six weeks. And I don't mean to say only. Time is relative to people. Sure. It doesn't matter. Could but have been the longest six weeks in the entire world. Uh, absolutely. I've had those weeks before. Mm-hmm. So when they were um, together for six weeks, they discover that they are pregnant with Grant. And so, the, yeah, the couple, they go ahead and get married. The, and if I had not said it, which I think I did, I, I did say where Grant's tragic death takes place, but um, this is a Gallatin, Tennessee t- case. So when she finds Angie finds out that she's pregnant um, with Grant, they have the quick nuptials. At this time, Angie states that even early on in the relationship, she was subject to abuse, um, not only as a child, and we're going to see later on that statements and involvement that her parents have definitely impact events that transpire that I think would make a reasonable minded person able to connect the the statements of Angie's childhood abuse with the control that takes place as an adult even by her parents throughout this case okay, okay? so here Grant comes she is born in, or he excuse me he is born in 2002 and Angie says that even this early on with a young infant, they had issues. Okay. Aaron was sexually violating her. Oh, he was verbally berating her and things just haven't been great right from the get go. Okay. Whirlwind relationship. And he's, he's not treating her respectfully. In 2006, they welcome Gracie, their little girl. So, Angie, just so f- a backstory, she's actually Dr. Solomon, and she has a degree in pharmacology. So this is not an, an uneducated, not that anybody who's uneducated is more likely to sustain abuse, but I'm just saying no, she <coughs> It is, knows no socioeconomic bounds. It doesn't. It doesn't. And I, I wanted to point that out. Like, here we are, before anybody gets judgmental about some of the things that I'm going to tell you, here we have a very... An intelligent woman yep. that is still susceptible to domestic abuse. Okay, and it, it that's just the reality of it, man or woman. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your income, what your education level is. If you are with someone who 
meets those definitions of an abuser or a narcissistic abuser, it doesn't matter where you are in life. You're still vulnerable to it. And they have two young kids. They do. And even though she's been concerned about things throughout their relationship, it's very easy as a woman, even a professional woman, to feel like you have an obligation and a duty to your family. Absolutely. And then we also have some religious aspects thrown in here. Absolutely. We have some religious programming. We have societal programming playing a big piece in this as well. It's not just this couple. Okay. In 2008... Angie actually discovers a plethora of infidelity on Aaron's part. There are allegations of him buying sex workers, having an affair with other non-sex worker women, and also grooming behaviors of underage girls. Okay? So she finds finds this information on his phone and other, you know, places, whatnot, and it leads her to seek out Therapy, according to freedomforgracie.org website, she starts seeing a Dr. Fortel, I'm sorry, Fortrell, Fortrell, uh, for help with the pain in her marriage, and Aaron's not happy about this. He doesn't want her seeing a therapist at all. Right, she might disclose some of his bad secrets. Absolutely, and at this time, Angie's reporting that Aaron wouldn't let her really go anywhere and be alone. He would even insist on going to hair appointments with her. This is so common. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that you say that because I actually wrote in here textbook. None of this surprises me. This is textbook behavior. No. And some of like my local hair salon, I love that they do this, but in the women's room, they have all kinds of um, domestic violence information and stuff to take for hotline numbers Yeah, because partners do follow them into the hair salon. They sit with them the whole time because they're afraid what they're going to say or gossip. They want to monitor what they're talking about in those places where women typically share and confide. Yeah. A therapist's office is one of them, hair salon, nail salon, whatever. Those are red flags. I can tell you, my hair appointments take no less than two hours, and my husband would rather stab himself in the eye than be a part of... I take forever, too. Yep. Absolutely. I just, my hair is too long. No, no, he does not. That is the last place that he wants to be. Never. I, I've never had, my, he's never come to anything like that and just Mm-mm. sit. Why, why, why would you do that? Mm-mm. I've even invited him before on girl, like, oh, hey, we're, you know, getting together. Do you want to go out? And if, if it's only going to be girls there, he's like, uh, no, no, you have your girls night. Same. Even though he gets along great with all my friends. Yep, I mean, it you know, it. Yeah, we've it invited matter. him with us before yep. and he's just like, no, no I'm, I'm good. good. Yeah. You guys have your estrogen party. Mm-hmm. Must have him watch football. <laughs> Absolutely. So he did end up, atten- and I'm, I do want to put a disclaimer. I'm not saying that every guy who wants to go to the hair salon, maybe he really enjoys the camaraderie. Or you want your spouse there yes. or significant but other. That's fine. When it's, when it's a red flag, you know it. You feel it. All right? So Aaron does end up attending some therapy sessions. Of course he does. Well, they- He doesn't want to go, but he wants to make sure that he's monitoring what she says. Yes. Dr. Fortrell actually diagnoses Angie with PTSD- and Aaron with a sex addiction. Okay. okay. This is important because it, th- we're going to see throughout this family's lives that more professionals continue to agree with this original diagnosis. Okay. Now, what I haven't told you yet is that Aaron Solomon's a well-known person with above average income as he was a 
WSMV Channel 4 news anchor in Nashville, Tennessee at this time. Okay, so this is a popular dude. People know him. People know him. I imagine any negative information getting leaked was important to him in order to protect not only his image, but his income. Yes? Yes. Yes. This employment doesn't last forever because in 2011, according to Angie and others who worked with Aaron at the time, he was forced to resign after discovery of inappropriate material on his work phone and computer. Aaron Solomon continues to insist that he left, left that employment on his own volition. Now, it's not... He un- probably was allowed to voluntarily leave. He was, and it actually says that. Oh, he was terminated. It's not uncommon practice for large companies in the public eye to allow someone to resign from a position to save them from public scrutiny after discovery of inappropriateness or workplace mix- misconduct. It happens all the time. Yes, Megan? Yes, it sure does. All right. So now it's June 2012, and this is where I feel like shit really starts to hit the fan. Now, I wasn't in this family's life. Perhaps it had been slinging this whole time, but this is just where, uh, in, as an investigator, where you can see things really start to escalate. Aaron's Aunt Ruth was very wealthy. She passes away, and so in about a year, Aaron is going to start to receive $100,000 a month. Okay, in 2013, from a trust that was previously set up. That's a nice income. I'm so listen to this. this That's why I don't think I need a work income. Correct. We're this, moving to Florida or someplace warm. This is significant wealth, Megan. Yeah. Okay, significant wealth. So, and and the reason that I point this out because sometimes details like this don't matter, right? I think we need to. In my opinion, we can't ignore this piece. Okay. Because shortly after the death of his of Aaron's aunt in 2012, and the information is is in the works that, you know, come 2013, this trust is going to start paying out. Angie starts to see another psychiatrist because with Aaron's soon total financial freedom, things for them are escalating. So she sees a Dr. Reed in hopes that he could help her and the children leave the home safely for all. And the reason for this is because around this time, Gracie starts to disclose to her mother that during bath time, her father is putting things like soap inside her body and that it burns. Okay. Okay. According to Angie, she confronted Aaron about this abuse and he admitted to it, but told her that if she told anyone, he would make sure that she never gets to see the kids again. The reason... Guys, I, the reason I'm pointing out the financial freedom here is that you and I both know the reality of our world is that money can buy a hell of a lot. It can. Okay? Including making sure that a mother looks crazy when she makes statements against a public personality, someone with wealth, right? Like, we have this thing in our world where we think that people with money can't do gross things. And the fact of the matter is they can. Oh, I think we have, I think we have some great recent examples of that currently being released today. Um, I think that it's also prudent to point out that it's not just the, the monetary part. Um, Anytime that you have a situation like this, where there's a power and control issue and the threats that he's making, yes, 
it's yes, she's failing to protect to some extent because you, you would think that you would make that phone call right away. But when you're terrified, when you're scared, when you're being threatened, when your children are being threatened, women make interesting decisions. And when your husband controls all the financial assets, it's the same in, in most of those DV situations. Yeah. When you have nothing, mm-hmm. when you're left with nothing, what do you do? How do you make that decision? Mm-hmm. Which is why she sought out Dr. Reed. Yeah. They came she's, up she's with doing a safe plan. Okay, so yeah. she's doing the right thing. She seeks yes. out Dr. Reed. They yes. have a safety plan of some kind. They do. They have a safety plan. She is documented because her goal here is to try to leave without angering the beast. Right. Right? This is always the goal when you are in a this situation like this. This is when most homicides occur. Yes. Is when they're when trying try to, to leave, leave or when they find out that you're making plans to leave. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so she's with Dr. Reed writing down all the steps. She's also trying to minimize the amount of trauma that happens to her children when she really pulls the plug on this and leaves. Okay. So I will, I will say too, there, there are reports and you can read them online. Okay. Of statements made by professionals who have responded at this time in 2012, 2013 to this family's home for domestic violence. All right. As a matter of fact, there is a report that is published online that was a statement that was entered, um, by an EMT. Now this statement was written in 2021, but he was recalling a domestic call that he, I should, I'm not even sure if it's a he or she, but that they, that they responded to in 2013. All right. And this particular worker's job, he was an EMT or she, I think it was a he actually, but the way that, um, this person is an EMT, but at the time was also working in a capacity as a fire uh, volunteer, like oh, a that firefighter. Happens. We it see does. that a lot here mm-hmm. because sure all of our fire departments are volunteer fire departments. So you could easily be a paramedic or an mm-hmm. EMT on your local um, fire department as well. Yep. So this particular person responded to the call. Police were already there. Police were already in the house. So there was no reason for them to go in the house. They stayed on the front lawn. Typical. They observed where Aaron Solomon was acting very, you know, very charming, very everything's fine. He actually claims that his wife is crazy. Okay. And it was her mental illness that started this. Well, then the police are like, okay, but somebody's going to have to leave. So we're going to have the children and Angie leave, which is what they they wanted. He flipped the switch. Okay. And this. No one's taking my kids out of here. And this or her. He actually even tried to run like to her. He became instantly full of rage. Truly, that is what the report says. And the police had to stop him from reaching his wife. Okay. He did not want them to leave. He wanted the police to believe she's mentally ill. She caused this disturbance. Everything is fine. Carry on. And they're saying, we responded to a domestic disturbance. I'm going to have someone leave. I'm having the kids in Angie leave. Okay. I'm, I'm, and I'm he, listening. I know. And he is very, very angry. And this EMT even put in the report, it was very clear. They were all, all of those, once it was all said and done and they wrapped up the scene and they left, all of the professionals said, we know who the real instigator was of that. 
situation. I find it interesting too. So was there any allegation that there had been anything physical or was it just a, a verbal disturbance? Both. Yes. So some local PDs have a policy that one person isn't just leaving, that one person's going to jail. Yes. And at the point where um, being told calmly that they were just going to have her and the kids leave, if he wouldn't, because it would make more sense that you would just ask him to go spend the night someplace mm -hmm. else until Mm -hmm. things calm down. But they obviously were worried enough that they were having her and the children Mm -hmm. leave. The moment that he freaks out and starts going at her or running toward her to stop this recommendation is when I, not to be critical, but I think I would have delved into a deeper DV investigation with him you can be critical in what happens in okay fine i would have taken him to jail yeah yeah that's uh, that's again hard i'm I'm sorry to local law enforcement if if you disagree but based off of my training and experience that he would have gone to jail he still would have been presumed to be innocent he could have bonded out but there would have been a no contact order put in place uh, by the judge and just some safety mechanisms so that the criminal justice system could do its job and i feel like maybe the criminal justice system was robbed of an opportunity here. Yeah, yeah, that that was never brought to them. Yep. No, it yeah, wasn't. Exactly. It, it was exactly. documented and obviously stood out in the mind of it an did. EMT it years did. later. Years and think later. about how many calls these people go to for um, domestic disturbances, probably a couple a day. But remember, but this stood he's out. A, he's a public yeah, they know who he is. They well, do. she's his pharmacist, right? Yes. She's like a doctor. He's uh he's a well-known news anchor. Yes. And he did say he had seen him in the community and had never had any issues with him before. Of course not. Like He's this, charming. This is what made it memorable for him was he was like, oh, holy shit. Like that's what he was. His face is red. He's screaming. He's full of rage. Like, where did this come from? That kind of thing. It was memorable for them in that regard. And probably easier to remember because he was a public figure, right? And he has he no... then turned into a financial advisor, by the way. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So he has no idea calling out to the police at this point in time. She's mentally ill. She's crazy. And she does have a diagnosis. He has no problem throwing that out. Right. Mm-hmm. Of PTSD. No, and so does he. Right. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, so where, where does the... She's too afraid. She doesn't do what I would have done, which is he's like, she's fucking crazy. And I would have been like, yeah, you're a sex addict, yeah, <laughs> right? right? Like right. you want to throw me out there with my diagnosis. Let me tell everyone yours. Exactly. Right. Oh, absolutely. But she's, t- she's terrified. She's and, in a bad situation. Yes. Yes. And doctor. So as I told you, Dr. Reed was coming up with a safety plan for her to safely remove herself and the kids from the home. Right. Yes. Well, she was saving all these notes in her phone, which of course Aaron finds and he deletes, he gets rid of. And it, you know, obviously he's not happy about this whatsoever. And he's threatening her that if you ever leave, I'm going to make sure that you don't ever see these kids again. Okay. Um, so I, I think we've kind of already touched about it on it, but I did put this in my notes that I don't have to tell you guys, if you're an avid listener of this podcast, this statistic, but I'm going to anyway. And that is that in a domestically violent situation, the victim returns an average of seven times before they either, either leave for good or end up dead. Dead. Correct. So May 9th, 2013, the day before his first deposit, actually, of his trust, okay, Aaron Solomon attempts to strangle Angie with a hairdryer cord. Grant was witness to this. It happened in the middle of the night, like around midnight. Um, Angie, at the time, neither Angie or Grant told anybody about it. These are during the claims of if you, you know, try to leave me. I'm going to make sure you don't see these kids. 
Um, Angie also wants to try to save Grant is 12 at this point in time. She doesn't want him to have to testify in court against his father. They don't tell. And as a matter of fact, the next day, Angie takes the kids to school and she even goes on a field trip as a chaperone. Okay. Now, um, as, as I said, this is when the first like disbursement of the trust starts to come in. When she gets home from chaperoning that field trip and doing her regular like day, Erin and her parents are waiting for her. And Erin has told her parents that she attempted suicide the oh, night before. Oh, my God. And so. Like she tried to strangle herself with yes. her own uh, hair, hair dryer cord? cord? Yes, because you know there's marks. Yeah, of right? course. There's you know she, he's, he's terrified that she is going to show someone that there, there's actual physical evidence this time. Yeah, so now she's he's going gonna to make it that mm-hmm. she's crazy and she's attempted suicide, not that he tried to kill her. Absolutely. And he convinces her parents of that. So she shows up. They've got an ambulance waiting. They're trying to convince, he or he's trying to convince his parents. Of course, her parents, let's throw them a bone. Now, I this has know. never been explored in court either, correct? Correct. Okay. But I do have the report um, from the medical records from that. Oh, yeah. We'll read it. Okay, we just good. wait a minute. Good, good. I, I like it. to have, before I start making comments, I like to have some type of um, backup that this wasn't, in fact, self-inflicted to give her the benefit of the doubt. A hundred percent. We have that backup. Thank you. And it is available online for anybody who'd like to read it. And it was a medical expert. A medical expert. Thank you. Yes. Yes, we do. She did not try to commit suicide. No. Um. Mm-hmm. However, before, I just want to, I just want to make this statement. It's also in the timeline on um, freedomforgracie.org. Okay. But there is a situation before this strangulation that happened a month before um, with the school. Now, something that you guys need to know, I am not going on this podcast. I am not going to name because it's so publicly available. You guys can find it yourselves. We don't have to involve ourselves in this, but you should understand that there is a church that um, supports the school that these kids go to. Okay. okay. That's typical around here. We Very have typical. lots of uh, private Christian or Catholic schools and they're supported by their respective churches yep. to, f- to fund it. F- to fund it. And that is exactly what this situation is in Tennessee. You can look up the names. Okay. okay? And so there's a situation where, um, and we have, we have these, these emails. Okay. Where Mr. Solomon seems to have went into the school, stolen a check, and forged a signature, huh? okay, to for a check for himself, okay. It, this is on the timeline as well, so I'm just going to... Why would he steal money from a church when he's, about when he's to, a millionaire? I don't know. Now, according... This is like rich people stealing things like klepto style from the mall because they want the, the thrill. thrill. Yeah, like... well. I come in wearing my Chanel and my Balenciaga and I'm going to come steal from Gucci. Like, is that where we are with this? My understanding is the money, the um, school actually did owe him money. They just hadn't paid it to him yet. So he is so entitled that he's like, listen, I'm just going to take care of this myself since y'all are incompetent. Exactly. But you know what he does? He forges a name, Megan, who doesn't have check writing clearances. (laughs) So that's brilliant. So listen to this email. This uh, that's almost like on a dumb criminal episode. Absolutely, and and what I don't understand is instead of this this person whose name he forged, her name was Mendy Hicks. 
Why Mendy didn't just go to the police, I don't know. Because instead she wrote a um, an email that said, to Aaron, that says, Hi, hi, Aaron. I received a phone call from a bank manager at Pinnacle Bank. She told me that there was a $1,100 check that was made out to you with my signature. She told me I was not authorized to sign checks. I explained to her that I have never signed a, a check. She named the um, school, so I'm not going to. Okay. Before, and I actually did not even write that check. She had cause for concern. I found out today that, and this is redacted, so I don't know what it says, wrote the check and forwarded to blank for his signature. Aaron, did you sign my name? I don't know what his response was. I kind of like her. Yeah, but she's she just, you know. Well, the bank may have already turned that over to the proper authorities, and now she's going to be investigated because her name is on it, and she doesn't have check writing authorities. So Absolutely. the fact that she wrote him an email, and it was actually nicer than the one I would have written it. Oh, most definitely. But she asked, you know, Aaron, did you sign my name? Right, exactly. Did 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 you? Um, so Angie is keeping Dr. Reed informed of this, okay, of what's going on. She's, she, there's an email available online that you can see that says, yes, Mindy Hicks is an employee of the school administration and a mother of students who attends the school. Aaron has already admitted to me and to Mendy that he did indeed forge Mendy's signature on the $1,100 check, which was made to him. But as it turns out, she does not have check signing privileges, which threw up a red flag at Pinnacle Bank. So they called the school questioning her signature out of concern. Aaron cannot account to me for the money deposit being $850 and then missing $250. is not this some type of forgery crime? He's also working late again and missing Grant's baseball games. Bizarre all the way around. And then she also has posted the, the deposit slips that you can see where he takes that $1,100 check, he takes out $250 cash, of and course. he deposits $850 of that check. Sure, why not? That's what you do, right? Okay. If but you need some cash to carry around with you. Right, right, exactly. But now... For hookers and blow. Here's a... Thank you. I mean, that's what some people could use cash for. Well, I mean, right? I have I don't, I have never heard of any sex workers taking plastic. Nope, no. I don't think that that, you know, swipe thing actually works for them. No, I think they prefer <laughs> cash. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, cash is king. Uh, right, and I don't blame them. That's all I would take, too. Now, I'm going to... Oh... Robbie, Robbie Mason. You, you would, you would also um, take uh, gift cards to uh, what's the cheese curd place in Coldwater? Culver's. Culver's. <laughs> I do you like would take, Culver's. You would curds. take gift cards to Culver's as payment for your <laughs> I work. Would, I would. <laughs> that's oh, that, that's oh, a call you, you out. How you know me so well. It's a vibe I was getting. Yep. Yep. <laughs> now this. Eight years after this, okay, eight years, because shit's years. starting to go down on this case, current time, all right? Okay. But th this is where I'm setting stuff up for you guys. You can look up the name of the school and all of this stuff, but eight years later, in a court, in a statement, a declaration from Robbie Mason, who was the headmaster of this school, Okay, I told you, I just told you all that information. And not only that, but I told you that you can see online both the deposits, okay, and the emails. All right, date the timestamped emails. So it's very obvious, right? We have this email from Mendy Hicks, like this happened. 
the dude forged someone's name, okay, on on this check to himself. And here the headmaster is saying, my name is Robbie Mason. I am of majority age and have firsthand knowledge of the following facts. I'm the headmaster of this school. I'm aware of certain social media accounts called Freedom for Gracie. The accounts have publicly stated on more than one occasion that Aaron Solomon stole or misappropriated money from the school's account. The allegation is false. Aaron Solomon was owed the money at issue and the check was properly issued to him. Any statement, insinuation, or implication of Mr. Solomon stole or misappropriated money to the school, and he names the school, is false. I declare the forging... The four, excuse me, I declare the foregoing is true and correct to the best of my knowledge and information and belief. So here the headmaster is, eight years later, signing this statement of facts. Wow. That's disgusting. Wow. When you have this woman saying, um, my name is, and you can see her name very clearly as day. My name is on this check. I didn't sign this check. He may have been owed the money. Perhaps. But, but you can't say that it was properly issued Mm-mm. by a person who had no check no writing abilities. No check signing abilities. Mm-hmm. And it all, it all is attacking the Freedom for Gracie um, social media account. Because this is what happens, guys. And we will get into it more. But what brings this more to the public eye is that Gracie herself goes to YouTube. And you can see it on YouTube where she is making very strong allegations of sexual abuse against her father and that she reported multiple times to this school and to elders and they did nothing about it. That's the real reason for this statement. I am trying to just try to falsify anything that was said on Freedom for Gracie YouTube channel social media that was the social media accounts that he is is referencing here okay okay oh if your blood's not boiling yet it is and I have so many questions because there's so many like there's gaps I want you to fill for me like what happened after the he got her parents on his side that she was suicidal we're coming to that now we're coming to that now and more you know I don't want to invade Gracie's privacy but did the sexual abuse like continue obviously yes. from when she notified mom about the bathtub incident when yes. she was little with the burning which would be hard for a fact finder for a cps by the way because um that could happen from a normal washing from soap irritating the genitals so you really have to do a, a good forensic interview to determine that there was actually something inappropriate being inserted into the vagina that was sexual in nature right um she it was soap and other items Okay. There, there are things because you can see her stuff on YouTube, right? And so and I, she's she's graphically honest. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and wow. I, um, what a girl. Yes, I'm not. I, I typically, you and I both know on child sexual abuse cases, we don't, we give don't all go the dirty into details. the details. No, mm-hmm. no, just out of respect for the the victim, but survivor. I, so not not to interrupt the. I'm getting to the hospitalization in the report from the um the medical okay, or good. from the doctors. Thank you. But I needed to tell you that piece to kind of set the scene here, okay, for what what's really going on in this case, and that happened just a month before. The hospitalization, the the falsifying, the document happened a month before. Okay. Okay. So here we are. Um, I'm going to take you to this. Now, this is what happens. So they they take her and try to have her involuntarily committed, saying that she tried to commit suicide. Her parents? Or do they call in? Her uh, parents and Aaron. Okay. All right. And so... um, 
when this, I'm going to read you the mental health records from Parthenon Pavilion at Centennial Medical Center dated May 10th through May 11th, 2013. These medical records indicate that Dr. Solomon was seen at Centennial Medical Center for suicide, suicidal ideation. The record indicated that her stay was less than 24 hours. The psychiatric evaluation noted that Dr. Solomon was brought in by the paramedics and accompanied by her husband and her parents. The note indicated that the staff admitted her out of, cons- out of caution despite the confusing presentation of abuse versus suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. The note suggested that Dr. Solomon was likely in an abusive relationship with her husband. It also indicated that she was likely mistreated as a child by her parents. The admitting physician, Michael Murphy, MD, according to the chart, spoke to Dr. Solomon's outpatient psychiatrist who stated that the plan was to move Dr. Solomon out of the house safely and obtain a divorce. The chart indicated that Dr. Solomon did not appear to have signs of depression and she was not voicing suicidal ideation. The chart indicated that the outpatient psychiatrist confirmed that the patient has not had a previous suicide attempt, which Erin was claiming she had. Sure, of course. We have to discredit her. Absolutely. The admitting physician documented that, quote, it does not appear that there is any evidence that the patient tried to hang hang herself, and I do not believe that she is in an acute mood state that would lead to suicide, end quote. She was admitted with a diagnosis of major depression in remission and given a global assessment of functioning score of 65. In the hospital course of the discharge discharge summary, it was noted that, quote, the patient was telling the truth about the situation and that she was in a risky situation with her husband, who appeared to possibly be volatile and violent, although this was uncertain. The patient's parents also appeared to be unreliable sources of information. Please read that, hear that again. Absolutely. The patient's parents also appeared to be unreliable sources of information. It was noted that Dr. Solomon was calm and cooperative with the assessment and admission process. The chart indicated that Dr. Solomon was not started on new medication. She was discharged on the same outpatient med- medication schedule, which was administered by Dr. Um, her previous, you know, Dr. Reed that she was working with. Okay, for her PTSD, people. So her PTSD from her childhood trauma. Yes. And her abusive marriage, by the by. This is all. This is all fantastic information for her. Mm-hmm. It is, but you know, by the time she got home, it was Mother's Day, and he'd taken off with the kids. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he took the time to be able to get assistance from her parents, yep. who were likely to not believe her anyway, since they contributed to her PTSD, to get her locked up for a twenty-four hour hold, which is normal. Mm-hmm. And then by the time she gets released, clearly being the victim of domestic assault and not of a suicide attempt, her family's gone. Her kids are gone. Correct. He's taken her children. He's taken her children. May twelfth, two thousand thirteen. It's Mother's Day. She's hoping he's gonna bring the kids back, you know, since it's Mother's Day. And instead, he calls the police department, lies, and tells them that Angie's suicidal. She's already been to the hospital the night before, and and they are not. They determined she was not. Correct, which is why they released her. But she didn't have this report yet. It wasn't drafted yet. Oh, my God. So when police show up, it's clear to them that she's not suicidal, and they leave without taking any further action, but the kids are still gone. 
So she's now realizing. And when you're married and one party has the kids, correct. the law enforcement is not going to get involved in taking them from one to another, not without a custody yep. order. And I she, used to do this all the time. And she doesn't know where her kids are at at this point in time. 14th of May, she still hasn't heard a word from Aaron, her parents, or her in-laws about where her kids are. And she's extremely worried. So she calls the police and they seem to take her complaint seriously until someone higher up in the police department talks to Aaron who then tells them same thing. She's crazy. I took the kids for their safety. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So May 15th, Angie contacts her lawyer and together they're able to find out that Aaron in that time span of when he had tried to have her committed and it didn't work with her parents. Yep. She has nobody. Correct. Correct. In that time, he's filed to, for divorce, and he's also filed an order of protection against Angie on behalf of himself and the children. Yep. You've seen this under sure, time and time again. He filed for um, sole, temporary sole physical custody of the children. Mm-hmm. And they often file for um, immediate temporary use of the marital home, too, but he may not have done that. Yes, I'm not sure. Well, I think maybe he did because on the 26th of May, um, he returns to the home and he brings Angie's parents and the children with him. He pressures Angie, telling her that if she behaves according to his expectations, he and the children will stay. Now, remember, he's already proven what he can do. And he's Look filed for divorce. Look at what he's done in the last two weeks. Exactly. So he's going to violate his own order of protection that he got from the courts yeah. by moving the children back in because clearly they're unsafe. Mm-hmm. He did. We don't like it when people violate the orders that you request. We don't. Well, this judge... This judge is a member of the church. Oh, no. Okay. We're not going to love a lot of things that I have to say about people in we similar have to position be. to you. Okay. Well, and I can't, I can't make a commentary on that. I know. I know. I, can only I will try say, to forewarn you. I can you. only say that we take an oath to be uh, unbiased and fair. And if a person who was closely related to me or who I had an intimate working relationship with um, or we were elders of the same church or something... I would at least make that known to determine if there was a conflict and if I should be removed from making a decision. And I do it a lot. Mm -hmm. I live in a small town. Right. And I have to remove myself off of cases or at least notify people Mm -hmm. so that the higher ups can make a decision as to whether I should be removed or not. My heart hurts a little bit right now. Go ahead. I'm just going to sit here quietly. (sighs) Well, all right. So there is a situation on the timeline, uh, the 20, so the 26th of May, he returns home and is like, if you behave, I'll, I will stay. The kids okay, and daddy. I will stay. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, May 27th, this is still 2013, Aaron tricks the kids into getting at the car, in the car. At 5 a.m., he tells them that they're going to go get um, apple fritters for their mom, and he then takes off, taking the kids with him. They drive to the donut den, get donuts, but then Aaron does not take them back home. He, he He's is. leaving again. Yes. Yep. June 21st, 2013, Aaron and Angie appear before honorable, and I use that term very loosely, Judge Philip E. Smith for divorce hearings. Aaron is represented and by their, their lawyers. Angie's represented by hers. I'm not going to name them. And uh, Aaron also gets Angie's father to testify against her. Okay. Well, that's not shocking. No, no. But this is what is interesting, and they put this on the timeline. Do they have the medical records for the divorce hearing? I don't know. I am not sure. Okay. 
Um, cause it I just want to know if the judge actually had all the later. information because mm-hmm. I can see we're being presented with information. You have somebody's own parents testifying against them, and traditionally parents are for their own children. This could be damning. Mm-hmm. Hold on. I have that. Give me a second. I'm glad you said that. <sighs> so four months after the contentious hearing and Judge Smith's decision not to believe Angie or the medical experts who testified in her favor. Okay. Aaron's attorney... Dr. or excuse me, D. Scott Parsley, Aaron's attorney, donates $1,000 to Judge Smith's campaign. What's even more odd about this is that Judge Smith ran opposed. Okay. He didn't that's hold not ille- any campaign events. Okay, that's not that's not illegal, Charnel. I know. I just want people but to know. But don't you think that sounds th- to the public? This sounds yeah. One of course. month, you didn't hear and you didn't believe any of the medical experts that testified for this woman. So, in regard to your, did they have that report? Yes, and they had both psychiatrists that were working with her, Doctor Fortrell and Doctor Reed, testify. And the, the, the hospital statements here, oh, the, you know, absolutely. and he chooses, he just made the conscious choice yeah, not to believe them. And then a month later, this dude's lawyer gives a thousand dollars to his campaign when he didn't hold any, you know, campaign events. It looks bad. It looks bad. It, it does. It feels a way. But yes, yeah, see your, say your statement. Cause I like, this is what I love that you well, bring to the podcast. You don't have to be running uh, opposed to run a political campaign and judges mm-hmm. do run for reelection. Um, and presumably when you're accepting donations to your political campaign, you can maintain yourself free from bias and such, but you're right in terms of the timing, it doesn't look good. You're right. And I'm, I'm not going to defend this person. I don't know him or her. Um, but I'm just saying there's not necessarily anything specifically illegal about what had happened now, potentially immoral or a violation of the uh, judicial canons. Maybe. I don't know what their specific canons are. Sure. And if something was reported or has been, but, but no, it doesn't look fantastic, especially when, you know, did, was he running a campaign? So often um, people who are running unopposed still will do what? Like make signs or do some uh, radio advertisements that cost money. Yeah. And so you might still be spending that money appropriately. I would be interested in seeing in this particular case, just in case anybody's curious, one, we know that the donation was made because those are public and you mm-hmm. have to report who makes those donations. That's how they know that this attorney Correct. made the $1,000, which is usually your limit, by the way, okay. donation. Two, expenses. Mm-hmm. How did he spend the money? That's what I would want to know. Mm-hmm. Was the money spent specifically for some type of political campaign or did it disappear somewhere into these into private coffers? Yeah. So just throwing it out there, maybe yeah. playing devil's advocate. But, but I like that. That's why that's why we love having you on this show because that is the information that we needed you know on the well and hopefully the judge wouldn't know and maybe that's the problem here who's making the donation because when you have a campaign manager and, and a, you have an accountant I, I I very rarely knew even who had maybe even donated to my campaign because there would be things coming up and then my uh, my accountant did all of the the oh. bookkeeping for it I wish I had known that before I put it under sex kitten that's fantastic <laughs> I Great. I no longer need to. I don't need any donations from you. Oh, okay. I'm pretty good. I'm good. 
Could you just donate that to a charity instead, Charnel? Sure. sure. <laughs> in in honor of an honorable judge, Megan, sex kitten. <laughs> no, perfect. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh gosh. Uh, anyway, but anyway, really, really interesting information that makes my stomach all twisty. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you. but I in in um, I'm sorry if I accidentally said one month. It was I think I did read this and said four months, but then actually when I was explaining it to you again, said one. You month. said a month later it was four. It, it was four months. Yeah. Yes, it was four months. Um, but I think what the concern for Angie and her family here is is that they feel that you know. Judge Smith is is in tight with Aaron's representation, okay, in this divorce. And I get that. I, I really do get why you would feel that way. And they were even more concerned because he Judge Smith ran unopposed in both the primary and general election that year and never held any campaign events. So they were wondering, like, what was this money going for? What was like you said, for? maybe signs. That stuff's expensive. You know, I don't know. But so now, you know, Judge Smith has ordered that Angie do f- forensic mental health examinations and things like that because of the statements made by her father in court, by Aaron in That's court. upsetting because he has expert opinions already. This is going to upset you more. So the judge chooses what doctor he's going to send Aaron. You can't do. Th- or, I mean, Angie too. Okay. Okay. You can request an independent medical examination because you don't want to use somebody who's potentially biased, like, you know, her own physician. Right. I don't, we have to be very careful getting into um, medical experts. Well, listen to this. We do have things like court therapists, though, Sharnel, where we very specifically make people go see that court therapist. Sure. But you can always get uh, your own independent uh, assessment as well. You're going to like you're going to like the therapist that the court sends her to Dr. Oh. Freeman. Okay. And he writes a report to judge Smith that agrees with Dr. Reed and Dr. Fortell. He says, Angie's a loving, careful, caring and capable mother. Judge Smith then dismisses the report that he asked for from the export, the expert that he trusted. Oh, I don't, I don't like this. I know. So I know, I know you're just like, if you could take right my now. picture right now with the microphone on my forehead. <laughs> She's le- literally leaning her forehead on the microphone and just like, I don't know what to do. We- so October 16th, 2013, Angie hasn't seen her children since the 21st of June. She doesn't know what to do anymore. She writes an email to her counselor. And at that point, she is resolved to document all the ways in which Aaron has hurt, abused, and manipulated her and their children. She realizes that this would be very important as she wanted to people to believe her and get her so she could get her kids back. And this is all from the timeline on um, freedomforgracie.org, just so, just so you know. There is a, a disturbing picture of Gracie's eyes after staying with her father for six months, Megan. Um, her, she has huge, huge swollen purple bags under her eyes. She's, She's not, not sleeping. sleeping. She's not sleeping. Has it ever come up in any of these hearings that he has allegedly sexually abused her? Now that I do not know because I w- I don't have the hearing documents. I'm not sure because it, it would have been something um, that her attorney, if she was represented, she may have been representing herself. I don't know. Should have brought up. She w- yeah no she wasn't representing herself. There was an she attorney. Had, she had an attorney. So if he or she knew they during those custody hearings, really should have brought up. Listen, <laughs> that you you're saying that my client's mentally ill, even though all of the evidence indicates that she's not. But what we really have here is a concern that a child is being sexually abused. No one's looked into it, and you are placing 
placing that child with the alleged perpetrator. Right. Well, that needed to have come out. In November 18th, 2014, Gracie has another ex- disclosure to okay. her mother. Okay. She tells Angie that Aaron is still sexually abusing her. And at this time, baby. he only allows Angie to see the kids during sporting events at school. Okay. When Gracie is allowed Public. to- Public. Yes. When Gracie is allowed to sit with her mom during a basketball game, she tells Angie that her father puts soap inside of her and that it stings. Angie's horrified, but knowing that Aaron will deny everything, she grabs her phone and she records a snippet of the conversation. Okay. okay? So there in what we're going to see happen is that Aaron continues to through December, he doesn't let them see their mom for Christmas. This is really traumatizing Gracie and Grant, okay? And pawns then gracie sneaks a facetime with her mom without aaron noticing and she shows her mom bruises on the inside of her thighs oh shit okay um when angie confronts aaron about this he says that they're from a rash from her swimming suit a bruise yes and there's pictures of the bruises you can see them they are online okay um april 5th 2015 this so this custody shit is going on for two years guys okay Aaron has Angie thrown in jail over Easter weekend to stop her from talking about his abuse of Gracie how saying that she's violated a protection order or something I don't know um how do you have somebody thrown in jail for making a report she he actually had what it says is that Aaron officially Aaron had a warrant issued against Angie for failure to pay child support, even though he had just received his large amount of money from his great aunt's trust. But in reality, he was pressuring her to stay silent. That's how he had her thrown into jail. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter. So she must have been ordered to pay child support at some point in time, and either she didn't or was late, or Mm -hmm. he was able to conduct some type of a legal fiction she got arrested on a child support warrant. She did. That makes more sense. She did. Because you can't because, just throw somebody in jail for making allegations. But this has been going on for two years. She likely hasn't been paying child support that whole time. But it wasn't until she started getting vocal about the bruises and the abuse of Gracie to the, you know, attempting sure. to, to be vocal about this that he's like, oh, you know what? You owe me all that child support, even though I'm actually receiving a hundred thousand dollars a month from my aunt's trust. But I want your whatever, you know. I mean, she is a doctor. She's a doctor of pharmacology. So yeah, but sure I don't know if she's working. We don't know if she's working right no. now. Um, so at this point in time, she's been thrown in jail. Like, you want to talk about a terrifying experience? She does not know what to do. So she and the children spend over two years from April of 2015 to early 2018 trying to best appease Aaron to keep, keep each other safe. During this time, Aaron has complete control over the children and Angie's life. All right? Are they, they're legally divorced at this point. Yes. But she still has to cowtail to him constantly just to be able to even see her children. Correct. So he has to have been given sole legal physical custody. Because the judge has refused to accept the medical testimony saying that she's competent. Right. He believes that she's mentally ill to the point she can't have her children still. At least that's Mm -hmm. what the order is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, if you go onto the website, you can see an escalation um, of people that are very closely intertwined, very closely intertwined with the school and the church. Um, A lot of things happen. 
okay, in that regard. And you can go through all of it. I'm not going to because it it gets a little bit confusing and I don't want to throw in a bunch of other people's names, especially when this has not been explored in court, okay? And so basically what happens is Angie finally reaches out to a, a police officer that she previously knew, okay, who was at the time a sheriff at the Williamson County Sheriff's Office, office, okay? And he was telling, she was telling him on a Facebook message, and there's copies of it that you can read, where she's like, she, I am afraid for my children's lives. I am, I am afraid for my children who attend this school for their lives and it, and Aaron's inappropriateness with contact with young women at that school. All right. And so, um, this particular detective or a police officer, excuse me, Jeff Long, he opens an investigation and um, he, he realizes because Gracie discloses that his father or her father, this is 2018, was sexually abusing her. Okay. All right. So he they get a forensic interview at a child advocacy center, which is the correct process for the, sh- the sheriff's department. It okay? is. So she has this um, forensic interview at a CAC center. All right. And at that point in time, the CAC center writes down, like takes her statement and everything and understands. Yes, she, she disclosed she's being sexually abused. And at that point in time, there was adequate indicia of trustworthiness. Yes. I'm going to use the lingo. Yes. Based off of the forensic interview. Yep. And so, um, they, at this point in time, tell the advocacy center not to investigate any further. Who's they? The police. All right? The police department. Okay? Like, essentially, we will handle it from here. Um, yeah? Okay. Uh-huh. Well, the advocacy center has technically done their job. They're, they conduct the interview and, and either draft or they usually draft a report or it's recorded and they just hand the recording over. Yep. July 9th, 2018. Grant and Gracie give forensic interviews with a social worker from Davis House CAC um, and a, a woman called named Tamika Sanders. Okay, she does it. She doesn't call the Department of Child Services before the interview, but after. And when she calls them, Department of Children's Services tells her not to investigate further. And so what? Yeah, because apparently they're going to handle it. And she chooses to listen to DCS over Grant and Gracie at that point in time. Okay. Okay, I know. I well, she's made the report. She she, has. she did her job. She, she was has. she reported uh, reported suspected child abuse, sexual abuse to DFFS or DHS or whatever you call them there. Yep. And they could have said whatever. We'll handle it. Thanks for the report. And then you've done your job technically. Correct. Correct. And so um, the parts that I'm not telling you that you can find online about um, Angie's meeting with with school officials and headmasters and whatnot. There is there there is plenty of Facebook messages that you can read where she is saying, I am scared for my children's lives and I am scared for the students at this school. But then there is a declaration from the same uh, headmaster, uh, the same um, administrators at the school saying, I'm a mandated reporter. If I had been told anything, I would have reported it. They did not. 
Do you feel like Dolores Umbridge has just taken over yes. the school? Yes, I do. Dumbledore's left the building. Yep, yep exactly. <laughs> Educational decree 247. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry, sorry. Exactly. Harry Potter reference. I know. Well, you will be happy to know that in 2018, um, they do go through the investigatory process and Angie is granted custody of her children okay initially a judge granted custody for both of them with a no contact order with both of the kids but then it was changed to just no contact with Gracie so Grant had to have contact with him okay okay that's not necessarily how things work anymore at least not in Michigan and I think thought that was federal but technically evidence of how one child is treated can be used as evidence of how other children are treated that's the legal terminology from Binsfield uh, that particular case so basically you could have a, a, a family member so let's just say for example dad sexually abusing young daughter but for purposes of removal you would treat the son the same um, yep. You don't have to, but you could. Yep. Um, so it's and, there and apparent. And this, again, was a family law case. This wasn't handled through uh, DHHS as a neglect and abuse case. It was handled through the divorce and custody side. It was handled through family law, is my understanding. Um, Which can part, still involve DHHS. Yes, yes. Part of what escalates it is actually Grant and Gracie run away from their father's home and they refuse to go back. Yeah, that'll okay. do it. They go, they yeah, go to their AWOL. mom. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, of course... Their mom, at this point in time, has to send them back because, you know, doesn't want to send them back right, because, because of the judge's order, right? And yeah, then like, she's in trouble. Pot- potentially yes. potential uh, parental kidnapping. Exactly. Exactly. It's awful. And so, anyway, that was September um, uh, 21st. So, what I'm getting at here is there's, these these kids are talking, okay? Um, the Why school, are you looking at me? Well, okay. On November 7th, 2018, administrators call Gracie in of the school to for a meeting to tell her to stop talking about the bo- ab- abuse. No. Mm-hmm. No. Yep. So at this point in time, Grant's like, mm, I'm not going to school. I'm not going to school here. Like, are you kidding me? He says he won't go to school any longer until he's had a meeting with, with the school administrators. They So they have that meeting. They barely let Grant speak. And before... They justify their behavior blaming Gracie for being assaulted and claiming that they were just trying to protect her from her own bad reputation. That's why they told her to stop talking about the abuse. There is actually a a statement where Gracie is trying to tell the school about the abuse so that they won't make her go home with her dad. And a administrator actually says to her, that's old news. Okay. If that's old news, was it ever reported right. by the school? They're mandatory no, reporters. No, and there, I'll tell you right now that there is a, a court case that was just filed this month against the school. Okay, so that's why. Well, I'm not then, naming I, the without school, I'm without not going. me giving opinion, I can tell you that in every state uh, there is a law of who certain mandated reporters are. You can check your own state to see who those are, but I can assure you that every single state in the union has uh, teachers and school mm-hmm. administrators on there. Yep. Uh, police officers are too, by the way. In Michigan, if you fail to report alleged or suspected child abuse that's been reported to you, 
you or neglect. It is a, it's a misdemeanor, mm-hmm. uh, punishable by jail time and a significant fine. $250,000. Well, that's, and then there's that civil component as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just, just so you know. I know that because I have to give mandated reporter trainings. Yes. All the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So February, 2019, Angie files a petition for dependent neglect and the case goes before Judge Deanna Johnson, who had already spoken with um, Bill Woodward about it. Now, Bill, I haven't mentioned all of these names, but okay. But now you're in our wheelhouse. Yes. Now yep. you're in the court cases that Nell mm-hmm. and I did together. Yes. And so, um, at this point in time, a judge dismisses the case and tells Angie that she's an abusive litigant and barred her from filing any further motions against Aaron for the next four years until Gracie is 18. Ouch. But why? Has she ever has she ever filed to come into the family court or to the uh, neglect and abuse she court? Had been dependent and neglect court. She had been filing through her, you know, through her lawyer for the statements about Gracie. Okay, and all of these things, and she is just being seen as the abusive. I see it li- now. Yeah, litigant. they're aware of what's going on in the family court. Yes. This person keeps making reports. Obviously, the judge in that other case doesn't agree with her to the point where they've given custody to dad, and now you have this person who appears to be over litigious trying to go through the court in a different way. Mm-hmm. I see it. Mm-hmm. I see it. That is how how it comes then. So unfortunately, it never comes to trial through the dependent and neglect. Right, right. But she did, she did get on September sixteenth, two thousand and eighteen. So this is two days before they ran away from their dads. A magistrate, can um, Cabell, conduct a new hearing on whether to remove Gracie and Grant from the care. That's of their what abuser. I used to do. Yep, I was called a referee, not a magistrate. Yep. Grant's friends, Anna Smith and Wynne Hicks, appear to testify for Grant and Gracie, but Magistrate Cabell refuses to hear them. However, he agrees to watch the forensic interview that he declined at the, the previous hearing. He doesn't even watch the whole tape, instead interrupts it and says, I've seen enough. At first, he promised that both children can stay with their mother and then later decides that Gracie will stay with her mom for now, but then... Um, he stated that Grant is a big boy and he can take care of himself. Oh, okay. so that how old so was know, Grant at this point in time, 2018. So he's 16. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I've, I've seen decisions like that get made or at least to give him um, discretion. Mm-hmm. The 16 year old. Well, if he wants to go to dad's, he can. Yep. So now <laughs> we're at the state. She's got Gracie. Mom's got Gracie. Grant still has to see dad. Um, she what tries would to file if he that didn't? petition. Well, and he gets to that point. He's refusing to go to school. He's refusing, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is disrupting his whole life. He's eight, he's 16 at this point in time. Yeah. They probably, his dad would probably file some type of an incorrigibility yeah. at that age. Yeah. I mean, oh, if yeah. he was just a little bit older, if he was 17, he could basically flip off the world and say, doing what I want. Well, it's interesting that you say he's just a little bit older because Grant was very vocal about how when he turned 18, he was going to go to the court as an adult to because he felt that when he was 18 he would be more um respected in the eyes of the law and i can see how well, he would because you're a legal that. adult so you can file papers and he, exactly and he was going to try to file to get custody of gracie okay like oh. he was wanting he did not want if mom wasn't if she wasn't going to be able to stay with mom 
Right. He was. This was during the mm-hmm. time that, that dad had successfully kept the children from mom. Yes. And he was very vocal about how when he was 18, he would be taking his dad to court over all of this abuse. Okay. Can we at least look at the, the almost like the awe factor here that these children are so close and have bonded over all of this trauma and love each other that he just wants to take care of his little sister to the point that he can't right. wait to become an adult so he can take, so that he take can, her away from yes. the bad stuff. Exactly. That's exactly. just not something a typical <clears throat> 16-year-old boy has to think about. Ever. No, exactly. And Angie's not giving up this fight. Like like I had said, she had tried to file that petition for dependent neglect, right? And then was told by that judge, nope, you are an abusive litigant, so you cannot file. Yep, it's not until, coming forward. It's not until, um, you know, after for the next four years. Which if would something be bad happens again, you can report it in four years. Yeah, right? <laughs> And, but and by that time, it's Grace weird. is 18. It's weird to put a time frame on that, by the way. Well, I don't see any. It was any... done specifically for her 18th birthday, which is this year. Grace right. Is but that's that's a big fuck you because mm-hmm. that's saying you can't file again until you have no legal authority to file. Correct. Because when she's 18, you don't go through dependent and neglect. Correct. In fact, you don't even go through the family court. That's why I'm saying it's weird that they, anybody would put a time frame on it that would come back on you mm-hmm. as an outright, you can't report offenses to me. I yep. mean, sometimes we just have to deal with litigious people and yeah. you have the hearing and if it's found not to have been proven you deal with the overly litigious person by slapping fines on them yeah right to make them stop to deter them from being overly litigious. i just think we uh, as jurists have to err on the side of giving people their day in court yeah that's it that's a me and that's a that is my personal opinion um based off of the oath that i took but it could be different than other people's sure and then this is a different state February 2019 was when that happened. Now we're going to come to July 20th, 2020, when Grant is tragically killed under suspicious, oh my God, suspicious circumstances. Aaron is the only witness and the story does not add up. And that is where I'm going to leave you. And the next episode is going to be going over all of the details of Grant's tragic death and okay. what happened. So okay. he dies on July 20th. 2020. When he is how old then? Five weeks after he turns 18, Megan. Okay. Five weeks. So he's an adult. He's an adult. And remember what I told you about how vocal he had been about things he was going to do when he was an adult. I'm interested now. I want to mm-hmm. know what's going to happen and why he was there and all kinds of stuff. So, okay. Okay, y'all. I'm back with an update on my magic mind usage. If you remember, I started using it in the fall and spoke about it a couple of times on the podcast. Well, I'm over three months in now and I wanted to give you my feedback. I find myself reaching for the little green bottle of Magic Mind, not only first thing in the morning, but it actually has become my after work companion as well. I do a lot of talking and critical thinking for my day job and by the end of the day, I'm typically really wiped out. Now, in the past, I would have reached for an afternoon cup of coffee to get me through my kids' sporting events after work and things like that, but this has stopped since I started drinking Magic Mind. I have not had an after-work cup of coffee in over three months, and now I just reach for the little green bottle that's filled with ingredients like ashwagandha for reducing stress and anxiety, lion's mane mushroom for the reducing anxiety, inflammation, and it's a stimulant for neuroregeneration. I even sleep better. I've seen positive improvement, and I think you will too. So that's why I wanted to give you a little update today. 
The Magic Mind team has created a special offer to share with Crime Curious listeners. You get up to 56% off your first subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase. Just go to www.magicmind.com slash crimecurious and enter code crimecurious20 at checkout. That's www.magicmind.com slash crimecurious and enter code crimecurious20 at checkout. I have also included a link in the show notes. Give Magic Mind a try and be on your way to an energized mental clarity. Um, do you want to bathe you? C- can you, before we get into this? Okay, so tragedy? these aren't really humorous, but they're kind of off factor, okay? <laughs> these aren't humorous. So it's, this is from uh, Petrons.com. It's the 15 most heartwarming dog stories that might make you cry. <gasps> okay. So I'm going to warm your heart with dogs, okay? Please do. Tiger lives up to his name. One evening in August of 2019, when 58-year-old Aruna Lamba was entering the first floor of her home in Darjeeling, I believe this is probably India then, she suddenly saw a pair of eyes glaring at her. Before she could realize what happened, the old woman was attacked by a leopard. (gasps) Then her four-year-old dog, Tiger, jumped in between, fought off the leopard, saving Aruna's life. What Tiger did is something most humans would tremble thinking about. Absolutely. I just, oh, I just love these, these sweet things. So I'm yes. skipping over some. So uh, this is another Indian uh, um, case. So a hero with paws. The dogs in the Indian army are absolute heroes. Zoom was part of the dog unit of the Indian army and was tasked with entering and clearing a house infiltrated with terrorists. Mm. He was shot twice during the action, but that did not deter him. Because of him, two terrorists were taken out, but Zoom did die in the line of duty that Aww. day. All oh, these doggies. This is this is depressing, Charnel. Okay, let me find some some Okay, Rocky saves the day. Okay. It was in Kerala back in 2018 when Monahan P and his family were suddenly woken up from sleep by the continuous barking of their dog, Rocky. No matter what they did, Rocky's howls kept on growing louder. Have you been there? You're Mm -hmm. like, why are you growling and Mm -hmm. keeping me up? Ultimately, they sensed something was off in their house, like something didn't feel right. Oh, yeah, they can feel the energy. So they went to go check on him. They were barely out when a landslide destroyed (gasps) their home. There was a landslide coming at him. The dog sensed that this was coming. They Mm -hmm. felt the vibrations probably of the landslide coming toward them. His instinct saved the life of the entire family. That's amazing. Yep. They do. You should, guys, we all should pay closer attention to nature. You have to pay attention, especially to dogs, like their vibe. Now, I've seen perfectly lovely people not be accepted by dogs for whatever reason. There are exclusions. But for the most part, if your dog really hates somebody who's mm-hmm. at your house or is growling randomly for no reason and they aren't typically a growler, mm-hmm. you should worry about this. Yeah. Um, the last time I was out of town, my sister stopped by to let the girls out uh, while the boys were at school. And she goes, I just want to let you know that your dogs would have let me taken every expensive item out of your home. Yes, she was um, no threat to them. She, no. And she's like, as a matter of fact, they brought me every toy imaginable to show me. Yeah. Before I left, I'm like, yeah, alone. they would have brought you the TV if they could have. Exactly. Said, Here you go. Do Here's you want this? Here's my mom's jewelry. Yep. Here's the TV. Yep. Exactly. Like, they're just such little lovers, but... Um, another Tyson, another story of bravery. So here's another dog. Um, even a human would think twice before meddling with a cobra, but not oh, this God, Tyson. Yeah. 
This incident occurred in the Kurda district of Odisha when Aman Sharif suddenly noticed his Dalmatian, Tyson, fighting off a cobra from entering their house. Before he could do anything, because wouldn't you go to the rescue of your dog if you saw yeah. snakes attacking your girls or yes. her, your girls attacking them? Absolutely. He had already killed the so- cobra, but he ended up succumbing to the snake bites oh, later. Tyson. It was a national news article that stated dog dies while fighting cobra saves master's family. Oh, like they they are honoring these these pets. Heart. This um, is an incredible story of how three-year-old Karina Chitakova's puppy took care of her for 11 days <gasps> after she was separated from her mother. Oh my God. So she is in the wilderness. She's in a forest Gets lost and separated. A massive search and rescue operation to find the girl failed. But one day, the puppy came home alone and eventually led the rescue team to the place in the forest where Karina had actually been taken care of and kept warm from the dog. So they weren't able to find her. He stayed. The dog stayed with her and then eventually went and got help. Yep. What a, you know, God places angels all around. And they're all little angel puppies. And we know that all dogs are angels. Oh, absolutely. Because all dogs go to heaven. They do. According to the movie, not necessarily the Old Testament, but still. (laughs) I'm just saying, in my opinion, all dogs (laughs) go to heaven. I agree. Um, there's lots of newborn ones too that are interesting. So a newborn girl was abandoned by her parents in Sarastal village of Chattisgar with no clothing and the umbilical cord still attached. Mm. The baby was saved by a dog who carried the infant to her litter of puppies and put the infant alongside her own puppies until she was found. This story Aww. speaks volumes about how emotional and protective dogs are. And that was actually a news article as well in Chattisgarh, Dog Saves Life of Newborn Girl After Parents Abandoned Her. Do you think it carried it by the umbilical cord? Like, how did it, without I don't know. causing or any damage? It may have caused some damage. That's we don't true. know. I mean, it, it may have caused damage. And of course, and these are all Indian, by the way. The last one that I'm going to read you is called Baikgu's Unconditional Love. Baiku? Baiku. Baikgu, Baikgu, B-A-E-K-G-U, Baikgu. Okay. A 90-year-old woman traveling with her dog collapsed in a desolate location where it was raining heavily. Even so, her dog Baikgu stayed by her side, trying to keep her warm and alive. Because of him, her body temperature was detected on a drone's thermal camera while they were searching for her. She was taken to the hospital and she survived wow uh, the, the article in india honoring bayak goo i love that they honor animals so yes. much it says once abandoned bayak goo becomes first honorary rescue dog after saving missing missing woman whether it's a dog story from india or any other part of the world tales of heartwarming instances of dogs love and feelings for humans their need to protect us and take care of us show that dogs loves lasts a lifetime Aww. dogs only know to love all their humans unconditionally till the end of their time mm-hmm. so i just we needed to feel good not necessarily a, a funny i agree with that a, was lovely with a case like this i i always am careful with my level of humor because you have allegations of sexual abuse yep. domestic violence you know stalking manipulation psychiatric issues and, and, I just, and just now need to a be mysterious what, death and now a uh-huh. mysterious death of a child and uh-huh. i just yeah so there you go thank you i love that i appreciate that if you're a Patreon, hop on over to part two. If you're not, we will be back next week with part two, part two for you. And you um, are welcome to join Patreon to hear the the um, next episode. It is, And when you do, you can binge all of the other stuff. Yes, the hundreds of other episodes hundreds that are waiting of for bonus you. Hundreds of episodes. Yep. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, that link is actually in the show notes. If you guys don't know, if you're maybe new to our podcast or whatnot, but we put out five bonus ep- bonus episodes a month. So if you haven't binged that, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of content that you Yeah, I mean, depending on the month, our general listeners get four to five episodes because it just depends on how many mm-hmm. Sundays there are in that month. That's yep. when we release. But you have double. Yeah the uh, information available to you and shows when you're a patron. Yeah. So. Well, uh, until next time, yeah. y'all keep, keep it curious, keep listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.